Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 201 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. It's hard for me to even believe that I'm saying that, episode 201. So today I have a special guest, as I always do. And it's funny, before we started recording, she said, I'm 80 years old. Am I the oldest mom you've ever had on? And I said, I think so. So I think this is our oldest guest we've had on, although I am in talking with another one who might come on and will beat her by quite a lot because she's 94. So stay tuned to see if that ends up coming to fruition. But I really enjoyed talking to Dustia today. And I know that you will too. She's really made it her mission to teach people more about a very, very rare disease. This disease is called a Moya Moya disease, or also there's Moya Moya syndrome. After losing her son, Aaron, to this disease almost three years ago now, she has really decided to make it her mission to try to teach both the general public and medical professionals about Moya Moya disease so that it's more easily recognized. I think she's doing some pretty amazing work. So right now, I just want you to sit back and listen to Destia, Aaron's mom. Thank you so much, Destia, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I am so happy to have you on. It's just really a privilege to be able to talk to you. So why don't you start out by just telling us all about your son, Aaron? Aaron was our second child. I really mm-hmm. had wanted a little girl, of course. And so it took a while <laughs> to kind of get over that. But he was little blonde, blue eyes, and very, very active. From the time he was little, he always was moving. Yeah. He had an amazing attention span. And I quit nursing him at six months because he was nursing one hour out of every three. And for a mom with a 27, 27 month uh, toddler, yeah, also to care for, yeah, it was very difficult. So I had to wean him. When I weaned him, he went on three eight ounce bottles of milk a day of formula, three. And he was six months old, which I think was a little excessive. I had to put three diapers on him every night. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I had to. He was just drinking so much. No wonder he nursed one hour out of every three. So he was drinking eight ounces. How often? Uh, Three eight ounce bottles a day. Oh, okay. So 24 ounces total. Yeah. And that seems like a lot to me. Huh? No, that's pretty normal, actually. But normally they don't eat, drink eight ounces all at one time. Yeah. I mean, normally kids don't just I'm just saying. 
Yeah. Since I do that for a living, yes. <laughs> I can tell you what kids normally do. So yeah. normally they're more like, oh, five or six ounces at that age. So to drink eight at one time is a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had a very long attention span. I once at six months old, I took him to a school play and he was mesmerized. He sat on my lap, never turned around, just stared at it. And it was an hour and a half or whatever. He wasn't a cuddly baby. I tried to cuddle him and he always would turn away to see what was going on in his world. Uh Just always looking around. Just interested. (laughs) Yeah, interested in everything. He had a friend named Ben who I met Ben's mom in a sewing shop, a clothes shop. And we both looked at each other and we were pregnant the same time. And Uh um, we looked like, "Mm, we're going to have these babies about the same time. And they were born like two weeks apart. And Ben and I took care of Ben too. And my friend Nancy took care of Aaron. And they were best buddies forever and ever. Really? Yeah, very dear friends forever. And you'll see later as I'm talking about Aaron's dog, how special the relationship was. Wow, that is so neat. Yeah. He loved singing. Uh-huh. He loved dancing around. He loved being an actor in plays. Loved to run. It was interesting. He, When he would have a bad day as a kid, he'd be a little moody, a little grouchy. I'd give him two options. Either he went upstairs to his room and he did art because he loved drawing and doing art, or he went out for a run. Uh-huh. He would normally go out to our driveway and run back and forth and he'd come in happy, which really? is interesting looking back on it. It really helped. And I think these were the first indications that maybe there was an issue and with his brain. Hmm. When he was about eight years old, he had two seizures. He had, I think, a grand mal. I was in the shower and I heard this banging outside the bathroom door, banging, banging. And then I came out and he said, Mom, something awful just happened and I don't know what it was. And then later, you know, at the same time, he was in a boys choir. Oh, just like my boy. Yeah, I know. I, mm-hmm. I, I saw that. And he was walking down the stairs. They were going to do their performance. And his legs gave out. They just sort of collapsed. And he said, I couldn't walk on them. They just were like jello. So I took him to a pediatric neurologist. Now this, he was born in 74. So this Mm -hmm. is like 81, 81, 82. I took him and they put the EEG on his head. Yeah. And they told me, they they kept saying, well, there's something going on, but we can't tell what it is. And of course, that's before MRIs, MRAs were available. Sure. Only option they had at that point. They put him on an anti-seizure medication for about a year. He never had another one that I ever knew about. And it was interesting, three years before he died, I remember asking him, so have you ever had any more of those little seizures? Oh, no, mom. Nope. Nope. I'm fine. Yeah. And, but he was such an athlete and running all the time. Yeah. I really think that, I mean, he would be biking, running, and then he, it made him happy. So they think maybe 
it got enough oxygen to his brain. Mm -hmm. That's a field I would like to explore a little bit. And I would like to have physicians explore it. That is one way to get more oxygen to the brain. Mm -hmm. So Aaron ended up being student body president, real leader, loved wrestling, cross country, very, very close to his dad. His dad died when he had just turned 15. Uh, His dad, Bill, he had a a clot, sudden death, cardiac arrest in the middle of the night. Uh And that hit Aaron very, very hard. Yeah. I was banned from uh, helping them get ready for school. Bill was a teacher at the local Uh high school where the boys went. And he asked me after a while that, that maybe I should stay in bed and let him have time with the boys in the morning. Because I'd be saying like, put your coat on, you know, you can't go like that. Tie your shoe, you know. The yeah, stuff. right, right. And he said, it would just be maybe better for us if you just stayed in bed in the morning. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. So it was just some boy time then, wasn't it? Yeah, it was boy time. They When they were eating breakfast, they'd set up a, set up a cribbage board on the table and they'd all play cribbage and that was really special. Oh, that is special. He took his dad's death very, very hard. Yeah. He told me years and years later that the morning his dad died, he had told me, he said, mom, I remember waking them up saying, you go down, wait for the paramedics at the door. And, and then my other son, Jason, I had him do some CPR because they had practiced CPR together. Uh, he and his dad. So Aaron went down there and he kept hollering at me, mom, I dreamed this would happen. I dreamed it last week. I had a dream uh, that dad would die. And then he said, I went down and I told him not to put so much butter on his toast. Really? Because it wasn't good for him mm-hmm, a week before. Wow. And so he kept saying, I dreamed it. I dreamed it. And it's interesting Later on in his life, I asked him if he ever remembered that. And he said, no, I don't remember saying that. Really? Which is kind of interesting. That is interesting. He told me years, years later, he said, that morning when dad died, um, my boys reacted differently. My older son, who's 27 months older, smashed his hand into the sheetrock, broke his hand. Aaron just burst into tears. And he said at that point, he said to himself, if anything's going to happen to my life, I have to make it happen. I don't need help from anybody else. I'm just going to make it happen. And he continued that way. Very independent. In college, he studied business, German. He studied in Germany for a while through not an exchange program, but um, I'll think of it. (laughs) And um, traveled through Europe. And I think that was his junior year, probably. Yeah, just like a study abroad program. Yeah. And -hmm. I think he was there for six months and learned German, got his German business certificate. And then later in his life, he was leading a bunch of bikers, bicyclists from London down to Barcelona. And he decided, going through France, that he better learn French. 
And so he had, he had a beautiful accent. I speak French. So I used to kind of chat with them a little when they were little, and maybe some of that rubbed off on me. But he was teaching himself French. And he would come up to me and say things, and I would just be blown away, like, wow. Yeah. And when he was in high school, actually, he started taking Russian and night classes. He just wanted to learn Russian. All very in wow. interested in things, very wanting to learn. I did notice that as he was growing up, he had some anger issues where mm -hmm. instantaneous he could blow up, which I learned later. Once again, it's a symptom of what he had. Mm -hmm. And he continued that. I witnessed a couple of them. He'd get over it really quickly. And then I'm pretty sure he would feel terrible. Yeah. He read a lot of books, trying to figure out why he was doing that. He really became a very inspirational man. He married three of his friends. He got his license through the internet. I think it's a universal ministry, whatever. <laughs> he ended up being asked to do three weddings with his friends, for his friends. Very inspirational. They loved him. And he also married yeah. his brother and his wife. So it was really special. I have a lot of those photos, which are really special. Oh, I bet so. Wow. I think a lot of that inspiration came from his trying to read and figure himself out. So he read a lot, yeah, self-improvement and being inspired. And he would call me, he called me a lot. He would call me particularly if there was some issue, maybe with a girl and maybe just one time my husband and I were in Southern France, staying in a monastery, a little cheap room in a monastery. And uh -huh. Aaron, all of a sudden the phone rang and it was Aaron. It was two in the morning. He was not feeling well. And he kept saying, Ma, I'm in this train station. I don't know where. And he said, I don't know what to do. I don't feel good. I'm, I think I have a fever. What should I do? And here is this independent college kid who could probably figure that out. But And anytime Aaron called, it was interesting. Didn't matter. He called me in the middle of the night. But he needed to talk. He would call me. And it, I, if I had a function going at our home, if I was driving, whatever, I would pull over and we would talk about it. It's like my present husband got kind of used to it because whoops, it's an errand phone call. All else stops. <laughs> Estia gives her son undivided attention. Oh, that's beautiful. That's just beautiful. Like I said, he was president of the student body, very, very active. His grades after his dad died just shot up. And I think, really, and he said it was because he knew he had to take care of himself. He knew that it, his dad had a statement, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And he okay. had a little three by five card on the visor of, of the truck or the car. And it would just say that. And I think Aaron must have taken that to heart. Yeah. He went off to college. He studied business at the University of Washington also German, also, I, I don't know, he had two or three BAs. Mm -hmm. But then when he left college, he ended up not wanting to join one of these big firms in um, consulting. This is a lot of these uh -huh. kids are doing, young people are doing that now. He didn't want to do it. He wanted to be off on his own, like he pledged to himself that it was going to be him that was going to do it. 
He wanted to start a business. He couldn't figure out what business to start. But he could have gone into some of these big corporations, been trained, ability to advance or whatever is kind of a basis for what he would do later. And he didn't want to. He wanted to do it on his own. Mm -hmm. And his brother and his sister-in-law tried to talk him into how important that was. Mm -mm, He didn't want to. Um, So he had some interesting experiences as he went out in the working world. Later, Mm -hmm. for work, what he really wanted, he had his own business for a while, I think doing computer systems in the early 90s, mid 90s, no, a little Mm -hmm. later than that. And he, all he wanted to do was be involved somehow in the sports world, uh, meaning startups that maybe had a mirror that he could look into and you can do your body mass, Mm -hmm. trying glasses for running that would give you ideas about slow down. There's a hill coming up, you know, you could program them. And he did a lot of those kind of startups because he really wanted to do something in the health and sports field. Yeah. Very cool. Some of those worked out. Some didn't as much. He became a couple businesses. He became a project manager in them. And I think he basically wanted to have his own business, but it never, never got there. Mm-hmm. And anyway, he, he did fine. He ended up buying a home and renting it out for 10 or 15 years because he was always elsewhere. He would be in New Zealand or whatever. And he um, just was looking and trying to find his way. Uh, he went to London yeah. and worked for a while, fell in love, and it was not reciprocated. And it broke his heart. He came back home after five years, stayed with us for a while. His home that he owned was rented this whole time. And he did a lot of couch surfing. He'd visit friends. He was a very, very faithful friend. You were his friend. You were part of his life. It was, it was amazing how very, very loved he was by all these guys. He had the same group of friends that he went to grade school with, junior high and high school, some in college Uh for sure. And, but they always knew they could count on Aaron and he counseled people. I remember once one of his friends he'd been working with at one of his businesses helped him through. He said that sadness he felt after the breakup in London and helped him through it. And the guy was so supportive. And Aaron later found out that he was on the streets, that he was homeless and he had one photo of him. Someone had found this guy and taken a photo of him. And he was just a homeless person sitting on a curb. And Aaron drove around for weeks trying to find this guy, looking for him so he could help him because he'd been so helpful to him. I think that's really a, a neat story. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think he ever really located him. Aaron and his brother fought when they were little. I mean, it was bad. 27 months difference and always having to separate them. And at one point we had a farmhouse at one point, Aaron had to walk through Jason's room to get in his, to his room, the door. So we remodeled, <laughs> we remodeled and they each had their own door, but they became much, much closer as the years went on. And I hadn't been as much aware of that because they were both away from home. But they ended up 
They'd meet up in London. Aaron and Jason, his brother, ran with the Bulls in Pamplona. My goodness. They'd plan these things or they'd meet in a pub in London. I remember the morning I would tell them, if you're going to do some of these dangerous things, tell me after. I remember that morning (laughs) when I knew they were running in Pamplona, Spain with the Bulls. I kept saying, dive into a doorway. Just get away from the bulls. And they say, Mom, we're not going to do that. We're going to beat those bulls. So after later, I have a photo of them in the stadium afterwards. You know, they're wearing their white tops, white bottoms, red sash. They were sitting there just talking. And a bull, they let the bulls wander around in the pins, I guess. And one of them came by and butted Aaron's brother. And then him, and they both fell over the wall about six feet and they were all bloody and, you know, their elbows and everything. And I think they just laughed about it. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. But we lived on an island that only had access from by ferry boat. Okay. The kids would all say, I can't wait to get off this rock. Yeah. After my husband died many, many, many years ago, a run was set up in his honor in the community as an inspirational run. It had been supporting K2 Corporation, which makes skis, which were made on the island at the time. And Aaron would come back. And in fact, it's been going on 34 years because my late husband had helped set up this run. He organized it for the first Mm -hmm. few years. Anyway, Aaron and Jason would both run it. And Aaron won many of them. He, He just, he was a runner and he just, would win them and then there'd be a big story in the local weekly paper and it was very very special that that happened yeah he whenever there was a run he started at about six years old running and he would do 5ks and he loved it his brother would do it we did it as a family a few times and so it became kind of a family event and that got into him turning out for track, cross country. And he seemed to like sports that weren't necessarily with a team. They were in mm-hmm. wrestling, placed fourth in the state in his age division when he was a senior, cross country. And that kind of went along with how he was. You know, he just wanted to get out yeah. by himself and do it. And then he started doing 10Ks and then he started doing marathons. And it became more important to him probably than his career because he'd exercise every single day. And looking back on it now, I think it it supplied oxygen to his brain. So he must have felt a euphoria Mm -hmm. after he did it because he was driven to exercise and run. Well, you sent me a great picture of him running. Yeah, yeah. That was in Kona. He did 19 Ironman international competitions, various places. He went to South Africa, Wales. He was, you never knew where he was, Austria. But, you know, that would take a toll on work a little bit because, you know, he had to run a couple hours a day and it would take a toll on his work. I mean, exercise was more important to him Mm -hmm. than work, the money, whatever. and. You know, he had a few issues with finances as just running out of money, frankly. And 
Well, he sounded like he had a pretty, you know, a lot of travel. So that can't be cheap to no, do that much no. travel. And I say he he met some wonderful friends that stayed his friends throughout no. his life. And, and that was really special. So he completed 19 mm-hmm. Ironmen, four World's Ironman in Kona. And the family, when we go over there and right on the streets, the sidewalks with chalk, and we'd have matching shirts <laughs> and we'd cheer them on. It was really special. Yeah. And either his brother or friends yeah. and we'd go over. The one thing that's really cool, Aaron would always shop for Christmas, Christmas Eve, inevitably. And I kept wrapping paper oh. under the bed in the guest room. And this is so typical. He'd come storming in maybe five or six o'clock and got to go, mom, got to go shopping. And he'd go out and he'd buy all these gifts. He'd come home and stay up half the night wrapping them. But the thing he did that was so cool, he set up something called a bun fund. Um, Burby, uncle, nephew slash niece experience. The UNE. Uh-huh. And every year for their birthday and for Christmas, he'd give them $50 and he would put it into an investment and manage it for them. And every, every Christmas he would write a little card. You now oh, have wow. this and this money in your fund. And when you're 21, we're going to go on a trip. We're going to travel. And so where would you like to go? Where do you think you'd want to go this year? What is your desire? What is your dream? And I remember one was he wanted to go uh-huh. to um, one of our little, my husband's, present husband's, our grandkids, our grandkids, they're mine too. Um, he wanted to go to Africa to see mm-hmm. the wild animals. And then the other little grandson said, "Okay, I want to go to Shrek's kingdom. <laughs> And every year when you ask them what they wanted to do, one of the grandsons more recently said he wants to go to Germany and drive on the Autobahn and go to a a factory where they make cars. So every year these things would change on what they wanted to do with Uncle Eric. Yeah. And after Aaron died, um, both families are keeping up with that $50 and $50. So like last Christmas, uh, the last gift given is an envelope that said your bun fun with Aaron has reached this amount and they're up in the thousands at this point. And uh, where do you want to go? And so we always have this conversation. Where do you want to go? Oh, I love that. I think one reason they um, Aaron did it, it was much easier than trying to find a gift. Oh, for sure. That's what I was thinking, too. He was doing it for simplicity's yeah. sake, for sure, at first. But whoa, what a good. And now a it's going to be a trip with the dad, with their own dad somewhere in the oh, world cool. that they want to go. Well, very cool. Everybody very absolutely cool. loved that. So the, another picture that you sent was of a fiancé, though. So... He did end up meeting meeting the girl, huh? He always wanted to work and live in San Francisco. And I kept saying, well, why? Well, I was born in San Francisco. He didn't, he visited there, but didn't have much connection. But he had this drive. He said, no, I have to live in San Francisco. So he went, he went there and he was doing various startups with, in the health yeah. field. 
and uh, he put an ad in I don't know Match or whatever one of the online. Yeah, oh, sure. Thing. He's okay. new to San Francisco, and he got a hit, and it was Kristen, and they hit it off right away. She has a business in San Francisco and had lived there 15 years. At the time, I think she was 35. She'd never lived with anyone, nor had Aaron. Yeah. And the funny story was she told Aaron, she said, you know, Aaron, I won't live with anyone unless I'm married. That's the only way I'll move in with someone. And Aaron said, well, Kristen, I won't marry anyone unless I've lived with them. <laughs> We always, we always kind of laughed at that. They're at a little impasse there, huh? Yeah. Anyway, he had his love. Yeah. Kristen, and they were going to get married. They had a date set June of 2020, and they were going to get married in Sonoma or Napa Valley at a winery, and they had it all arranged. And then oh. they postponed it because... COVID? COVID. Yeah. Yep. Decided it wasn't worth it. It was too scary. It was too early. We didn't know. So they reset the date for June of 21. Okay. And Aaron died in August of 20 after that. Oh. So, Do you want to talk about that now, about what happened to Aaron? Yeah. 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 Let's, let's. So Aaron was so intent exercising two hours a day, every day. And I'm convinced just because he made his brain feel better. He had a massive hemorrhagic stroke. Yeah. Uh, he'd been down in the basement of their home. They had bought a home in San Francisco together and he'd been down on the bike. He had this room set up with the bike, stationary bike. And he'd been down there and he came rushing up saying, Kristen, get me ice. My head hurts horribly. And so he ran in and laid on the bed and she kept saying, I'm calling 911. He kept saying, no, you're not. No. I'll be fine. Get me some Tylenol or ibuprofen and I'll be fine. And then he kept writhing on the bed. At one point he fell off and he did say to her, I'm dying. I'm dying. Yeah. And then she noted that he said something, he put his arm up and he said, what's that? I don't know what that is. That's when she called 911. Yeah. And they were seven minutes away from UCSF, which has a fabulous, um, I mean, their neurology department is amazing. Mm -hmm. They have some, and it's, you know, it's connected to Stanford. And they came and got him. They worked with her first saying, um, have him smile, have him do this, have him do that. And um, she said he definitely was having a stroke. Yeah. But it, um, my mama heart having my child say, I'm dying, I'm dying, has kind of stayed with me. Sure. So I got a call. They transported him. It was only seven minutes to get him there. And she called us screaming and crying. And I went out. And since I'd had this sudden death with my husband earlier, I went out on the street in our neighborhood and just was running up and down the street because sobbing and crying and screaming no 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 and then I remembered my girlfriend across the street had some pills that she took for anxiety or whatever and I ran to her door this was 10 at night and banged on her door and uh, 
I said, I need something or I'm going to die out here. It's yeah too horrible. And so she gave me one and I ended up just, I could breathe again. But they took him to the hospital. Kristen ended up staying there all night. You know, the waiting rooms, they don't let you up. And she sat and a friend joined her all night long, not hearing any news. Yeah. But they did that video of his brain. They opened up his skull. Right. And which was a shock to all of us who loved him. You know, to think that half your skull is gone, but they wanted to relieve pressure on his, yeah, on his brainstem. Yeah, there was a lot of pressure, and that kind of worked. What they said was they that saved his life, and and this was like ten at night. I said, okay, I'm taking the first flight in the morning. I wish I had just gone to the airport and got on something immediately. One of my older sons very dear friends accompanied me on the airplane. I told my husband, stay home. I just wait, I'll call you. And he was miserable. He, he wanted to come, but it was just too sudden. And so I went down by myself and one of my older son, Jason's friends escorted me in first class and sat and talked to me. And um, I was fairly calm, like, yeah, he's a tough guy. Yeah. He's young. He's strong. He'll be fine. Yeah. He if, and everyone kept saying, if anyone can recover from this, it's Aaron. Yeah. So I got down there, and I think at that point we realized how um, severe it was. And he was in the ICU for a total of six days, intubated. It was really hard to go in there, um, but I'll tell you my respect for the knowledge that doctors and nurses have and all those myriad machines, it just blew me away. Yeah. Sitting there watching the things they were doing, all the tubes coming out of them. And um, his stroke was on the right side. And I remember figuring out which side to sit on to hold his hand. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up going on the right side because it would have been the left side that was affected by yeah. the stroke holding his hand and talking to him. And that's when we saw the, the video or the scans of his brain and not knowing how severe it really was until they told us. That's when one of the doctors came in. This was Kristen, his fiance, his brother, Jason, and me. And my husband flew down later, mm -hmm. Rodney, he was there. And I think Kristen's uncle or whatever, he came, they came in and they're very, very busy running around and they said, we know what happened. Yeah. And what? This strong, amazing yeah. person. And they said, Moya, Moya disease. Mm -hmm. And we all looked at each other and said, what's that? Yeah. And the doctor left. I mean, you know, they're busy doing things. That's when they told us that uh, he had some brain waves, but that he might not ever wake up, would have to be fed by a tube. And would, you know, be basically just lying in a bed being kept alive. And all three of us or four of us who were there simultaneously said, no, he would hate that. Yeah. He would hate that. We can't do that. That's when the hospital started coming in. Um, what is it? West Coast uh, donors. He had been, of course he was. He was such a giving man. He had been 
on his driver's license listed as a donor. It's interesting when someone goes in the hospital with something like that, the first thing they all want to see is the wallet. I guess to prove their identification, to get their medical cards and to see if they're a donor. Mm-hmm. And so would, there was no question. Yeah. Of course we were going to, you know, Aaron of all people would want to donate his organs. But the really hard part was after six days, they went down into this room in the basement and they, we all sat there in chairs next to him looking at him. And they started releasing all the life support very kind of slowly and very businesslike. And each one knew what they were doing. Also impressive to me. Watching that process was was hard. And then he, after 13 minutes, they called the time, yeah. 6, 17. And we knew what that meant. Yeah. And then we had a few more minutes with him. But at the same time, there were people in the room next door, all these doctors already, and they kept kind of peeking in to see how we were doing. But since they discovered it was Moya Moya and that his heart was in wonderful shape, it was not able to be donated because of intubation nor his lungs Mm -hmm. because he'd been intubated so long. But they were there to take his organs. And I remember when he was pronounced dead, I remember putting my head on his chest and looking up at his face and he was pure white, pure white. And, you know, my husband, my first husband, his dad died and, but I was in bed with my husband and I kept hugging him and and he kept color. Yeah. Just the warmth I think helped. But seeing Aaron just chalk white was, it was not good. And we all knew that these doctors were waiting to get the organs. And of course, we supported that. So we, we left. The other thing that happened is, so there is this study going on called Heart in a Box. And they had been looking for a few months for an athletic, younger heart that was very strong. And what they do is it's better if you have no brain waves and you're brain dead, and then they're able to take the heart directly while it's still beating. Um, but Aaron had cardiac death mm-hmm. before. So they put his heart in this box and set it up with blood and everything and waited. And one of the reasons is they want to transport, like there's eight, eight to 10 hearts every year in Hawaii that they could use for transplants, but they can't use them because it takes too long to get them to the States. Mm -hmm. And so this machine would allow that. And this is what this company, Transmedics, I think it is, we're working on trying to get it there. And so they've been looking for an athletic heart. They revived Aaron's heart in 55 minutes to start beating again. And the closest anyone had come to the past hearts they'd use only lasted 44 minutes. Wow. So they were able to revive his heart beating. A year later, the FDA gave initial approval for the heart in the box. Oh, that's so sweet and special. Yeah. yeah. And we, I was just, of course, I went out and bought 100 shares. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's special. And it's it skyrocketed after that. I so wanted to call them and say, okay, 
tell me what role my boy had. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh. That was really amazing, and we were grateful it could be used. Since that time, I have seen two TV shows, you know, I don't know, Chicago Med, I think it was The Good Doctors, where they actually had a series where they were up on the roof, a helicopter came down and transported this box. We sat, for Aaron, we sat in the waiting room. We watched these guys, mm -hmm. came up on a Learjet, I don't know from where, a bunch of them. And we saw them unload the boxes, yeah. the big metal things they were going to use. We saw them waiting at the elevator. Of course, I took photos of that because we knew what they were going to do. Yeah. Anyway, they, they were preparing. It was during the day of the day. He, yeah. They took him off life support. But these two shows showed them in a helicopter delivering the same machines we saw. And it just blew us all away. Yeah. And I ended up saying something and you could see the name of the company. They brought it in. They were able to hook up a heart. So it was able to be used in transplant. Now, I don't think they use those hearts that they experiment on with transplants, but it was an idea that you can have someone die in Hawaii, hook them up to this, get them here, and then be able to transplant them. Yeah. And that's their goal. Wow. Wow. That's super cool. And then with Moya Moya. That's what I was okay. just going to ask you about, actually, to talk about the Moya Moya a little bit. <laughs> of course, we'd never heard of it. Right. And no one has heard of it, really. And it started, apparently, when he had those seizures when he was younger, that they, could, they said, something's going on in the brain, but we can't tell what it is. Well, he... He was fine the rest of the time that we knew of. I knew he went out and ran all the time and he came back happy. I never associated it with anything. He did have some some outbursts where anger just happened. And then he was done with it. And I asked him a couple of years before he died, I said, do you remember when you had those little seizures? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ma. He answered me a little too quickly. Oh, yeah, Ma. Um, I'm fine. Haven't had a problem since. When you are running 26 miles... After biking 112, after swimming 2.4 miles, your body would obviously have weird symptoms. I mean, you push yourself beyond humanly, most people think is possible. Mm -hmm. I think maybe he had some seizures, some little TIAs. So TIAs are our transient ischemic attacks. So those are like mini strokes almost, but not, yeah. not enough. They're just temporary usually, those little TIAs. Yes. Mm -hmm. So... He said, no, mom, but I have a photo of him after he'd been running where he went. It was taken at twilight where he's leaning, I, who had been swimming. He was leaning over and kind of recovering. And I always wonder, I think he thought that all the things happening like that were because of his excessive exercising. I think he thought, well, this is what happens. I'm pushing my body. So on his bike we discovered after and on his shoes, he had the words T H on his toughen the blank up. Oh, <laughs> and he had it taped on the bike. He had shoes made with his name on one side and that on the other side. And apparently when it was really hard for him and some of these, he would say to himself, he also told me he talked to dad a lot. Oh, that died that they always had conversations going. 
in his head. Yeah, so Moya Moya is very, very rare. I mean, it's, I think it's guessed to be at maybe one in 200,000 people. So a, a rare it thing. And it's, um, and it's when you don't get all the blood to your head. So there, now you can do MRIs and MRAs that can diagnose that a little bit more. But it's that oftentimes you don't have a lot of symptoms that would make you do that, you know, ahead of time, certainly. So, and they have, and sometimes you can have some seizures. The more commonly you have a TIAs, the transient ischemic attacks, or uh, ischemic strokes. In kids, it's always mainly ischemic strokes. In, in adults, which it's kind of, so you can have a peak age incidence around 10 years old and then another one in the 40s, so which is what Aaron was. And and then in adults, they'll have some hemorrhagic strokes. It's still more common to have ischemic strokes, but they can have hemorrhagic strokes, which is different than what kids have. So it's it's hard, you know, there are some kind of things that they can do to help if they know you have it, but there's not a curative treatment, really. So, no, that's that's true. Yeah. And there are there kind of stages. It's the arteries that come up by the neck, mm-hmm. and then they're distributed through the brain. And what happens is that's those arteries coming up start clogging. Has yep. nothing to do with cholesterol, and then it causes issues with oxygen to the brain. So you develop moya moya means puffs of smoke. Yep. And it was, it's Japanese for that. Because it is much more common in, in the Far East. I, I've read conflicting things about that because I've read that it was discovered there. Mm-hmm. And so they were very alert for it. And they, in the U.S., they weren't as much uh, and other countries. And I've heard everything from one in a million to one in 300,000, one in 200,000. But what happens is that eventually, after many years or a few years, those little puffs of smoke start deteriorating and you don't get enough oxygen to your brain. So little those puffs of smoke give that. Well, Aaron, by running and exercising, supplied his brain with so much oxygen that he could mm-hmm. keep going. And when they told us that he'd probably had it all of his life. Yeah. And that he'd been able to kind of prevent it. If he had continued, just he would eventually, they were told us they would eventually have had this hemorrhagic stroke. He would have had more seizures and he would have eventually had dementia. Yeah. Because not enough oxygen. Yep. Whenever I go to the doctor or even see the nurses, I say, anybody here know what Moya Moya is? Uh-huh. And I say that to doctors and some of them are relatively young. And usually it's, you know, the doctors will say, well, I remember hearing about yeah. that, but I didn't know the details. And the nurses would say, no, nope, never heard of it. And so I'd stand there and make a fool of myself and say, well, you need to know. <laughs> if a child comes in and they've had seizures, you need to investigate it. Or if they're having headaches, Interesting thing was Aaron didn't have headaches. He never took, you know, he took ibuprofen maybe for leg cramps. He didn't display any of the things. Although I have one photo where I think he's having a TIA because one face side of his face is flat and the others, this all would have been ahead of him and he would have been a newlywed. Yeah. So we, as a family, how can you be grateful that someone died? But the whole thing about this is 
Aaron was 46 years old. He was at the top of his life. Yeah. He found the woman he wanted to marry. He'd never married. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a home um, in San Francisco where he always wanted to live for some reason. Yeah. And then he met this wonderful woman and he was starting a new career which he loved and he was helping her in real estate and he loved the part where he was hiring the the electrician and ordering the carpet and he just loved it and and so he was kind of working for her but everything in his life was just at the top happiest we'd ever seen him his photos and then boom he was gone yeah and i have to think that that's not a coincidence right it's just not. it's like okay aaron We've given you enough time. You now we want you. You've got to come home. And his dad and greeting him, we and God greeting him, we could just feel that. Yeah. And so the grief wise, you know, the fact that he was on the top of his game, happy as can be, found his love, had a dog. Oh, the dog is important. There's a dog in the photo. <laughs> that was huge because he been living out of suitcases and such, but now he had his dog. We are so grateful yeah, that he had these experiences. His fiance, we're very, very close to. We've traveled with her a little bit. I adore her. I never had a daughter. I have a daughter now and she's struggling. Yeah, of course. To go on with her life. She's, it's been almost three years in August. So, and you know, I worry more about her grief wise, I've done some grief groups. I read a great deal, but I'm okay. You know, I, I have my moments and he's, I feel like he's with me all the time and I can't get him out of my head. But one thing I want to say, we had his celebration of life. Although his best friend, Ben said, what do you mean a celebration? I don't want a celebration. I lost my best friend. We had that in a beautiful garden the following summer, in summer of July 2021. And while I was sitting there, and I was pretty good shape, there were speakers and such. While I was there, I, I kind of did this. Close your eyes, yeah. There was an outline of a white heart with a little tail. And I'm looking at it, and I want to poke my husband and say, this is happening. And he he wouldn't have understood, you know, who's going to understand what only I can see. Yeah. It was this, the boys all went to school together. I make three lunches a night for their whole lives on each bag, partly to embarrass them. I would put, have a wonderful day. Your mommy loves you. And I put that same heart on the bags for years. Really? And here you see, I sent you a photo. Yes. I love it. I, I ended up going to the beach collecting black rocks because the background of this was black and it was outlined and putting the heart on one side and his name on the other, telling the story and giving it to his friends. And of course, I have one by the sink. I have one in my purse. I have one in my car. I and, love that. You know, after only three years, I'm I'm joyful. He didn't know he had it. Yeah. I'm joyful that he had this wonderful life. And I think you're right. All of his athleticism and his running, all of that had to have helped him so much. Mm -hmm. Just 
in order to live this amazing, wonderful life without any knowledge of it. Because you wonder, mm -hmm. had he had a more sedentary life, you'd think there's a decent chance he would have had some symptoms. And, and it's a hard disease to live with, knowing that you there are some things you can do, but you're not going to be able to really stop it in the end. Well, you can. Stanford, Dr. Gary Steinberg, and other places in the U.S. are doing this surgery. Yeah, bilateral. they're doing some surgeries. Yeah, that's that's sure. If you're the right candidate, there are some surgeries it, to do. Yeah, Aaron would not have been yeah. the right candidate. He was. It was too far. But it's progressive. There is no cure, really. Yeah. With young children, you know, I'm on all these websites, and I try to keep quiet about more fighting for their lives or their children's right. lives. And here I am, I'm going to say, well, my son died of it. Yeah. So I just keep kind of keep quiet yeah. on those. I am not a medical person, but I want the medical community to be more of what, it, to know more about what it is. Mm -hmm. And I, I've been helped that once again, TV shows, The Good Doctor and Chicago Med, uh, both had something where a patient came in with seizures and headaches and they diagnosed him with Moya Moya and they talk about it. They show a little brain scan that doesn't look anything like the Moya Moya brain scans that I see. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> but they're talking. It's a disease. It's progressive. We have a, oh, one of them, the doctor said, well, there's really not much we can do. The other one, they talk more about the surgery that is possible, especially when it hits someone who's young. Mm -hmm. And you can live for years after with because apparently they take a vein artery from somewhere and they implant it. They yeah. have a big scar here and they implant it in the brain and then they watch it and they see generate regeneration of of them in some some cases. Yeah. But it's it's a devastating disease. There's also a World Moya Moya Alliance. World Moya Moya Day is May 6th uh -huh. every year. And the alliance is the mission is to educate population at large and physicians to collaborate with specialists to decrease the risk of strokes, seizures, dementia, and reduce deaths and raise funds. Yeah. And they say 50% of the funds they raise go to medical research, 30% yeah. research, mm -hmm. and 20, 15, 20 go to paperwork and office supplies sure. and that sort of thing. So it's very a worthy thing. And of course, I'm on top of all of it. And by talking to you. Right. Just that, trying to raise awareness, right? Where That's, I guess that's my goal. Mm-hmm. So, and knowing Aaron would, being so interested in health, knowing that he would look down and say, good job, mom. Right. Right. And that's what you want, right? Yeah. Good job, mom. So good job, his, mom. <laughs> yeah. His brother set up a wall in the basement with his bike, with all of his awards, with his, all sorts of stuff, photos, a backpack from an Iron Man and this huge wall. And then my son will go down and work on his bike in the basement. My one son that's mm -hmm. left. And he will look at his brother. 
Yeah. And talk to him and, and whatever. And it's very touching to go see that. Yeah. That sounds that. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I really appreciate hearing about Aaron and helping you to be able to kind of spread the message about Moya Moya as well. So thank you so much, Destia. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I love your show. And I so admire you with a career and continuing to do this with so such a variety of people that you have on and experiences yeah. and age groups. Yes. Yes. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful or would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.